Welcome to OB Boss Babes, where we showcase female entrepreneurs, working professionals, community builders, and boss babe biz owners that share their stories so that others can feel inspired, empowered, and connected to other women in business. We are the must-listen podcast for entrepreneurs throughout the Ottawa Valley, Lanark County, and the Pontiac. Here at our Boss Babes face behind the scenes, as we dive into real and brutally honest conversations about different industries, how women are smashing stereotypes, balancing motherhood, and are building successful businesses. This is OB Boss Babes. Amanda Talker Media is the Ottawa Valley's most trusted branding expert, as she focuses on brand identity, photography, and social media. Amanda was born and raised in the Valley, and this fuels her passion for local businesses, as she assists with brand development, photography, digital design, social media management, and mentoring. Let her help you to grow and bring awareness to your business by attracting, targeting, and expanding your audience. Check her out at Amanda Talker Media on both Facebook and Instagram, and see how she can bring innovative branding and marketing strategies to your business. Hello, 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 and welcome to the OV Boss Babes podcast. Many of the movements we perform, tasks we complete, and personal interactions we have all rely on our vision. Even our sleep schedules are affected by the light that we see during the day. And having the ability to see is a sense that we tend to take for granted and don't give it much thought until our vision becomes blurred. Think about it. What would life be like for all of us if we had poor vision or no eyesight at all? You wouldn't be able to drive. You wouldn't be able to see the smiles on your child's face. And maybe the worst part, you couldn't see who started following you on Instagram or how many views your recent TikTok got. But this optometrist and her business partners are advocating for eye health, encouraging people to get regular eye tests and bringing in more tools and technology to help advance the full spectrum of vision care for their patients. This babe was also recently featured in Women in Optometry, showcasing her clinic's recent renovation, is a community supporter sponsoring events and initiatives, and is bringing awareness to female optometrists as the number and the positions occupied by women optometrists are not only increasing, but are actually starting to outnumber their male counterparts. Please welcome Dr. Morgan Welburn, optometrist and partner at the Renfrew Eye Clinic. <laughs> wow, that was so motivating. I need to listen to this every morning. That's great. Thank you, Holly. Well, welcome to OB Boss Babes, Dr. Wellburn. So first of all, I want to get right into your journey. What led you down the path to want to become an optometrist? Well, first of all, it's my pleasure to be here, Holly, and I appreciate being invited on to talk about probably my favorite thing. So um, I grew up in the small town of Queen Quebec. So I'm actually a Pontiacer. And um, I went to high school in Shawville. And um, the first time I fell in love with eyeballs was during my grade nine biology class, where we actually dissected cow eyeballs. And uh, I actually stayed after class to see if there were any extra unused ones that I could, you know, uh, examine a little bit further. But um, initially, I had the goal of getting into cardiovascular research. So I did my degree in biomedical science at Ottawa U. I did my thesis at the Heart Institute on uh, particular heart proteins. Um, and that required me to sit in a lab by myself, working with molecules all day. And I thought, this is not for me. Um, and that was after, you know, four years of university. So it's, I'm here to say it's totally okay to change your path at any time. Um, so at that point I kind of sat back and thought, well, what the heck do I want to do? And so I knew I wanted to be involved in the health field, um, in a certain aspect. Um, and so optometry just came to mind because of my love for, for eyeballs, but I had missed the deadline to apply, um, so I thought, okay, well, what am I going to do in the meantime? Do I get a part-time job or do I go back, you know, do another degree? So I decided to do a bachelor's of commerce at Carleton university, um, because I thought, well, if I'm going to be an optometrist, likely be a business owner as well. So it might be, uh, prudent to have some, uh, financial knowledge. So I did my BCom and luckily I, I got into optometry after that. And isn't it funny when we think of school, you know, all the different career options that are presented to us and it's like doctor, dentist, but optometrist was never in there. At least that's what, that's my recollection. 
Oh, absolutely. And I've been invited to speak to some um, career classes at the high school, and I've just been pushing optometry, especially in the Ottawa Valley. We um, are underserviced, and uh, we have a really large encatchment area. I mean, I have patients coming to me from, you know, two hours away sometimes because we are their um, closest access to care. So we need more optometrists. So I try to motivate people because it's not something that as a career option, as you mentioned, that you consider right away. But it's Mm -hmm. great. It's got a good family work balance. Um, There's usually no shift work. Um, So it's, it's a great option. And there's a need for it, obviously. I mean, we all have vision. We all have eyesight. We all need absolutely to, to carry on with our <laughs> day, like I said. Yeah, that's for right. Sure. So the Renfrew Eye Clinic was formerly owned by Dr. Malcolm Dooley, who retired after 45 years of faithfully looking after the eye care of thousands of Renfrew and area residents. So when did you and Dr. Alex Rowley take over as co-owners of the clinic? So the Renfrew Eye Clinic has been providing eye care since 1949, I believe. It was uh, initially established by Dr. Uh, Prentice, um, who then hired Dr. Dewey as an associate. So that's how that uh, that started. Um, my partner in crime, uh, Dr. Alex Rowley, graduated about five years prior to myself. Um, so she worked for about a year as an associate and bought into the practice um, as a first female uh, partner. Um, um, and, um, and then I followed about five years later. So, uh, when I stepped in, it was a little bit different. I was stepping in, um, to a practice where, uh, Dr. Dewey was hoping to, um, retire and was succession planning. So, um, it just worked out for me. I, I did uh, get my feet wet as an associate for a year first to make sure it was a good fit, uh, for both parties. And, um, and then I, uh, bought in at that point. Uh, We also had Dr. John Humphreys as a partner as well, and he retired after over 30 years of practice. So, (laughs) And now it's two boss babes just paving the way for the future. Oh, absolutely. And uh, she really is my partner in crime. We joke all the time that we're more than married. When I got (laughs) married, I think I had to sign two documents. And when her and I went into business together, I think I had to sign a hundred different documents. We are so tied together. We're more than married. Um, but uh, I think it's important um, in any business setting, if you're going into business with someone, that you have the same uh, style of practice, that you have the same morals, the same goals, the same um, mission statement, which may change over time. Um, but having those core values um, on an even scale going into it is really, really important because, as I said, um, you're tied to that person. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. always going to be differences of opinion, right? I mean, certainly Alex and I don't agree on anything, but there's just such a deep level of respect there. Um, and I think that's just so important in any uh, business relationship. Mm-hmm. All right. So now I really want to get into everything about vision and eye care. So let's start from the get-go. What is the difference between vision and eyesight? That's a really good question. Um, So most people, and myself included, use those terms interchangeably. But to get into the nitty gritty, eyesight is the um, eye's ability to see clearly. So uh, when you come in and you read off the chart and we tell you how clear you can see, that is eyesight. Whereas vision is how the brain interprets the information that it's getting from the eye to tell you what it's seeing, to tell you what color it's seeing, um, to make sure what you're seeing is not double, that it's single, um, so that you don't have double vision. Um, So there's a lot more processing, visual processing that goes into vision um, on top of just the clarity of your vision. Now, we've all said that we want to have perfect 2020 vision but if you have 2020 vision does it actually mean that it is perfect vision that's a good question so i mean 2020 vision um is crisp vision um it's the standard in which we try to get most healthy eyeballs seeing but just because you can see clearly a 
does not mean that your eyes are healthy. There are so many silent diseases out there that we screen for during your regular eye exam. So that's a big one um, to keep in mind. But B, just because you see clearly doesn't mean that your vision is comfortable. So I'm sure a lot of people can relate uh, using computers during their work day. They have some eye strain, some grittiness, some tiredness. Um, eyes are sore sometimes. Um, so there's a lot more that goes into uh seeing and enjoying the visual perception that the world has to offer um, than just the, the clarity that we measure. So a few weeks ago, I had on an audiologist and she was telling me that you could have listening fatigue, which I never knew was a thing, but I kind of get it because when I'm doing my podcast interviews, I'm really listening intently and then I'm exhausted afterwards. But <laughs> apparently there's also eye fatigue too. And maybe that's like when you're just like focusing on eye contact and really giving people like your full attention. So what are some of the simple ways to prevent eye fatigue since that's what we're here to talk about and protect your vision, especially during the workday? So eye fatigue is, is definitely a real thing, um, especially with the increasing use of technology, which is just part of our everyday. We can't avoid it. Um, and so one of the biggest things that I try to remind my patients of when they come in is blink your eyes, those poor little eyes. So normally, uh, you know, within a minute of time, for example, if you and I are just having a conversation, normally we'll blink 30 to 40 times a minute. Okay. When we're on a computer and we're focused on what we're doing, we only blink about two to three times a minute. So that's how reduced it is. Um, and you can imagine if you're not windshield wiping your eyes with nice, beautiful tears, those poor little guys are going to dry right out. Um, and dryness just causes blurry vision. It causes grittiness, burning, um, and, and really um, decreases your productivity during the day. So um, I'm sure if anyone were to Google, you know, how to uh, decrease eye strain, they'd probably come up with the 20-20-20 rule. That's one that's been around for a long time. So essentially, it's about every 20 minutes, take a 20 second break and blink 20 times, um, just so that you're breaking up that work day and not staring at the screen. And it's interesting that um, we focus so hard and we forget to blink. I was listening to a podcast recently and they were saying that in certain situations when you're super focused on something or you're writing an email that you're really emotional about, you actually also hold your breath. Did you know that? I'm, I can I was, believe that though. Yeah. You Especially when you're breath. thinking intently and stuff too. And you're yeah. like, wait, I have to breathe. <laughs> you have to breathe to live, right? So um, it's just amazing how when the brain gets focused, how we can turn off, you know, these necessary things. So um, blinking is, is, is super important, um, but also getting your eyes checked regularly so that we're setting you up for success. So some people suffer through the day especially people aged, you know, 38 to 42, um, they're starting to become uh, of that age where uh, near focusing tasks become a little bit more difficult, which is totally normal, part of celebrating more birthdays. Um, and so they suffer through the day with a lot of eye strain and eye pulling, not knowing that there's a simple solution um, for computer glasses or, or reading glasses that will totally take that strain off the eye. So making sure that you're getting your eyes examined and uh, that uh, you're wearing the proper corrective eyewear. And if you do go in for an eye exam, it's uh, very helpful for you to, before you come in, measure your distance from the bridge of your nose to your computer screen or to whatever device you're using, because that distance is so helpful for us in, um, in creating the proper prescription for you for the workplace. So Morgan, I'm hoping that you have a great range of people that are coming in regularly for their appointments, getting their eyes checked, they're, they're uh, making sure that they're coming in. I think it's every two years, right? Yeah, if you're a healthy young adult, so under 65, two to three years is generally okay. Um, kids is a different story. So there's so much visual processing going on when you're young, and we don't want it to interfere with learning. So we like to see kids every year. Um, but yeah, generally two to three years if you're a young, healthy adult. Okay. But then you're also going to have the people that are just going to show up one day and be like, <laughs> I need my eyes checked because I haven't been getting my regular appointments and now the damage is done, too late to return, help me. But what are some do not ignore warning signs of serious eye problems to make sure that you get your butt in? 
So that's an excellent question. Um, so one of the things that uh, is so important is flashes and floaters. So um, flashes of light in your vision with your eyes open or closed. It's usually one eye at a time, but it can be both. And the way that patients describe these flashes is lightning streaks, kind of streaking through their vision. Um, I had one patient say, you know, I was driving home at night and it I, I thought there was headlights in my rearview mirror, but there was nothing there. Um, so flashes of light and sudden floaters in your vision. So not the one or two that you see here and there, those are pretty normal. But if all of a sudden there's a hundred black floating dots in your vision, we need to know about that ASAP, as well as any sort of um, curtain veil falling over the front of your vision. So those are signs of a retinal detachment, um, which can lead to permanent blindness. So those we definitely need to treat promptly. Um, so flashes and floaters, very important. Any type of eye pain that lasts more than a couple of minutes, um, we should know about that as well. Your eyes aren't supposed to hurt. Um, definitely some, you know, grittiness, burniness, general discomfort is usually dry related, but you know, anything that's a three out of 10 or higher, that's not normal. So uh, we should we should know about that. Um, in terms of kids, so babies, um, any white pupil. So if you're taking a picture of your little one, which we take lots and lots of photos of the little ones, um, they're supposed to have a red reflex uh, out of their pupil. You know, you get the red eye that you want to Photoshop out of all the photos, right? So if that is instead of being a uh, orangey red pupil is a white pupil that is a definite emergency you need to let us know right away um, if you start to notice an eye turn in your child either turning in or turning out excessive eye rubbing uh, with that child or if that child is um, closing one eye often more than not then we should know about that too that's good to know actually because sometimes I'm, I'm not sure if my child is tired if she's bored <laughs> or if she's got something in her eye because she's yeah. nonverbal at the moment and not uh, not able to communicate that with me. But she's and it's hard, like, you know they yeah. they don't understand. They can't tell you, hey, something's going on here. So mm -hmm. yeah, just uh, we we normally do vision screenings in kids at six months uh, old to rule out rule out any major issues, um, and then we recommend seeing them at three years old. Um, and so we we are screening those things, but yeah, it's definitely just um, good to be mindful. Good to know. So Morgan, what would you say are your fields of specialization? For us being in a rural area and not having our patients, not having um, access to ophthalmology, you know, under an hour away, we do manage a lot of disease. So um, I would say ocular disease would be my specialty. Um, at the clinic, we do a lot of co-management with surgeons um, in Ottawa and outskirts, just so that our patients don't have to make the commute, uh, which is a difficult thing for a lot of them. Um, so I would definitely say uh, we are a, a disease heavy clinic. We're actually also um, a, a rotation site for the University of Waterloo for the students to get um, their disease training. So they come to us and spend four months so that they can um, really learn. And uh, otherwise, I would say also pediatrics. I see a lot of little ones and uh, and I love I love to see them. They always uh, uh, bring a smile to my day and I have I have um, height charts in my room. And so every time they come in, they sign their name and they see how tall they've gotten. They're always so proud of how they're growing. So um, it's interesting. I have some kids that have had their names on there for four or five years. And I certainly have a cluster at a certain height. Um, and uh, it's interesting to see too, as they're growing taller, their writing is also becoming a lot uh, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> more fine tuned. So um, it's fun. They come in looking forward to see, you know, where they are on the chart. So, and that's, you know what? And like, when you think about it, like whether it be your doctor, your dentist, your optometrist, like you become family to these people because you see them grow, you see their eyesight develop, like you create that bond and that relationship. And it just makes me like, think back to, uh, to my hometown, uh, optometrist who's retired now, Dr. Michael O'Grady. And, uh, and he just always made it so fun because like going to the eye doctor, like it's, it's not always like, you know, you're thinking like, Oh, go get my eyes checked and like, just look across the room and read off the chart. But like, I don't know, you have to make it fun for kids. And because like we do, they're going to be with you for life. 
We do. It's it's really practicing. It might be different in more urban settings, but practicing in a small town. And Mike is excellent. I, I know Mike. He's a, an excellent optometrist. Um, but uh, you know, normally we see the child, their mother, their grandmother, their great grandmother, mm-hmm. um, and so it really is a family affair. But it, kids are. It's sometimes tricky, and it is important to keep them engaged so that you can get accurate measurements. And they're active little guys, um, so it can be challenging. But um, and making it fun and, and making them excited to come to the optometrist um, helps a lot. All right, Morgan, next I want to talk about contact lenses, which is my area because I've been wearing contact lenses for years. And so you would imagine my surprise when I found out that you can purchase prescription glasses and contact lenses online. Great for people like me, bad for optometrists like you, because now this is competition. But what are the dangers of buying contact lenses online without a prescription? So I think that comes down to, um, it's interesting because I mean, online shopping is out there and it's a convenience for people. And I totally understand that. And uh, interestingly, people assume that they're going to pay less online than they will in your clinic. And it's actually not true because Clinics um, have access to a lot of rebates that the online counterparts don't. So sometimes you'll actually pay less with your local optometrist. So something to keep in mind. Um, But for me, if my patients feel like the online avenue is um, easier for them, that's okay. As long as they're getting their eyes checked routinely. And the problem is, is these online um, websites don't require an active prescription. So people could be buying glasses and contacts with a prescription that's five years old. Well, what does it mean to have a prescription that's five years old? It means you haven't had your eyes examined in at least five years, right? So um, prescriptions are usually only valid for two years. And there's a reason for that. It's because we recommend when you're a contact lens wearer to be seeing you every two years. You are poking your eyeball. Um, You're putting a foreign object into your eyeball. Um, You're more at risk for having uh, bacteria live on there. Um, Your cornea is not having access to oxygen the way that it was made to when you were born. And so we need to make sure there aren't irregular blood vessels growing on that surface um, to try and get oxygen to the cornea. So there are so many things that we look for when you come in for your routine check. So if you wanna buy your contacts online, perfect, go ahead, but make sure that you're coming in for your routine eye checks so that I can check your cornea um, and make sure that it's it's still doing okay. Because unfortunately, um, people come in when they're in pain. Um, and when they're in pain, sometimes it's too late. And there are certain uh, bacteria out there that can uh, eat away at that cornea. And um, it's always better to prevent infection uh, than to treat it. So Well, while we're already on the topic of prescriptions, how are glass prescriptions determined and calculated? That's a very good question. So uh, we use a big giant set of glasses that's called a foropter. Um, But essentially we sit the patient down, we have them look at some letters and we give them a whole bunch of different options. Um, So that gives us what I like to call like a raw prescription. So um, I'm asking the patient what makes them feel the most comfortable and what helps them achieve the crispest vision. Um, So then I get some numbers from that. Uh, But that's not necessarily what I will then prescribe. I have to talk to the patient and I have to discern what their visual needs are. Are they a truck driver that spends 80% of their time looking in the distance and only 20% of their time reading? Are they an accountant that's spending most of their time on the computer and paperwork? Those are all things that go into me fine tuning those numbers to give the patient the most comfortable vision. Um, And sometimes what I measure in office is just not realistic for everyday life, you know, so we have to um, make those tweaks, uh, which we get better over time with experience of, of, of doing so. All right, millennials, I'm going back in the archives here and I'm bringing up Arthur. Yes, Arthur that we all watched growing up. And we remembered that episode when Arthur needed glasses. So he went in, he got his glasses, he tried maybe two or three pairs on and then away he went. But Morgan, let's be honest, that is setting us up for unrealistic expectations because you just don't go in there and say, okay, you need a pair of glasses. You look and you say, these ones are great and away you go. So what are some factors that we should consider when choosing the perfect frames? 
So you're, you're totally right. And I mean, there are, I will say some men that come into the practice and they're just like, yep, those are the ones. And they're just a standard <laughs> black frame. Um, but I would say most people do find nowadays that glasses are a little bit more of a fun accessory. Um, I remember having to wear glasses starting in grade seven and I was mortified. Um, and now I have uh, teenage girls coming in wishing me you know, needed to wear glasses. So there's certainly, there's certainly been a shift. Um, and with that shift comes so many options. There's so many fashion choices, big frames, small frames, flashy frames. Um, so the only thing is that the, you're, you're correct. The fit of the glasses is really important and can actually totally alter someone's visual experience. Um, so for example, big is in right now. So big frames are in. If you have a mild prescription, um, so, you know, the numbers are relatively on the lower side, you're fine to do a big frame, um, as long as it's not sliding down your nose. When you get into higher, more complex prescriptions with a lot of astigmatism, getting a bigger frame can actually cause a lot of distortions in your vision. And so we end up having patients that get migraines a lot or dizziness. Um, so it's really a unique experience to the patient. And it's nice to go somewhere where the optical assistant can look at your prescription and say, you know what, this is where you're going to want to stick um, with these shapes and sizes because of your particular prescription. But I would say the most important thing is how they fit your face. Um, so fitting your nose so that they're not sliding down all the time, fitting the, your ears um, so that they're not pushing on pressure points back there, causing headaches. Um, and then if you're finding a good fit, then it's, you know, whatever makes you feel good. There are also online companies that falsely claim to perform eye exams and contact lens exams via a website or an app, and they are placing eye health in jeopardy. So these services not only undermine a critical component of healthcare, mainly being the doctor-patient relationship, but Morgan, tell us why this is a serious concern for society's health and well-being. Oh my gosh, I could probably talk about this for hours and hours on end, but I, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but um, while these apps claim to measure your prescription, which I'll get back to how they actually measure it in a second, um, they are not assessing the health of your eye. And as we alluded to at the beginning of this conversation, just because you can see well does not mean your eye is healthy. Um, oftentimes these silent diseases don't show up to you until it's too late. And then you're kicking yourself because you're saying, you know, if I would have been um, in five years sooner, I would actually be able to see my daughter walk down the aisle, right? So um, it's really unfortunate when we get into those circumstances that people say, well, but my vision's been great. I've been, um, you know, wearing these glasses for five years and there hasn't been a change. So it's so important to actually get the back of your eye assessed, the front of your eye assessed, um, especially if you have... Um, any uh, systemic issues, for example, thyroid um, issues, diabetes, high blood pressure, um, all of those things affect the eye, but not necessarily your eyesight. So the clarity of your vision. The other thing is your focusing muscle is, a, is one of the strongest muscles in the body and it changes, it sort of flexes itself. Like if you can imagine lifting weights, it flexes itself. So when you're looking in the distance really far away, the muscles relaxed, it's chilling out. And then as you have to look at things a little bit more clearly, that muscle really, really flexes. And as that muscle flexes, your prescription's actually changing, okay? So if I were to measure your prescription looking up close versus looking far away, I might measure different numbers. And a lot of these apps use um, laptops or iPhones, which we hold at about 16 to 20 inches. That's not real life. You need, you have dynamic vision. We have vision needs at all different distances. So unfortunately it's not as accurate um, as they claim it, claim it to be. So, um, but for me, again, the most important thing is, is having your eyeballs checked out, making sure they're healthy so that we can provide you with that clear vision that you love so much, you know, for, for as long as we can. So Morgan, I want to look back into the history of optometry because from private optometric practices to professors at universities, women are better represented in optometry more than ever before. 
And when you first started your practice, I'm curious, did you find that there was no distinction in a stereotype of roles like receptionist, female, doctor, assistant, female, doctor, male? What did optometry look like for you um, when you first entered the field versus what it looked like 10, 20 years ago? So uh, I think things are definitely changing. I read an article recently um, and they were saying that in North America, there was about 80% male dominance in those who have practiced over 30 years. So, you know, optometrists that started about 30 years ago were 80% male. Um, and looking at those optometrists now who have practiced 10 years or less, we're almost 70% female. Wow. So it's a huge shift. And I think it's because, you know, these um, male optometrists who've been practicing for 30 years are retiring. And then these females are coming in. Um, and most uh, optometry schools in North America are now about 60% female. So it's a huge shift. We're still not quite 50-50 in the uh, uh, profession as a whole. So I think we're about 47% female or something like that but there certainly is a shift um and i think some of that is that females make excellent caretakers we spend time with the patient we're very nurturing um so when i stepped into the practice uh, seven years ago, um, the two uh, most senior partners were male. And yes, all of our receptionists uh, were female. Um, I think there was a little bit of a, you know, gender bias in a lot of my patients initially. Um, so you can imagine going to school for 10 years, you know, being ready um, and certified. And then you walk into the room and it's, you know, the first thing they ask is, well, when's the doctor coming in? Mm. And uh, having a unisex name like myself being Morgan, mm. a, a lot of people expect that a male is going to come in the right. room as well. Um, thankfully, we, uh, Alex and I both took over a practice from very supportive um, male doctors who are married to very powerful women and have raised daughters to become very powerful women. And so when they were... Um, you know, thinking of retiring and having that conversation with their patients, they were letting their patients know that they were in excellent hands. And I think hearing that from uh, an optometrist that you've been seeing for 30 years goes a long way. So I think um, entering the field and being able to uh, work with um, male doctors who are supportive of females in their field makes a huge, huge difference. But I think in any um, in any role uh, as a female, you have to know your boundaries and uh, you have to continue to demand respect, demand professionalism um, and have your voice heard and never settle because it's not OK. And I would say to my, you know, fellow female boss babes, you know, get involved, um, get involved in your associations, get involved in um, your local business associations and have that voice to empower women, because the only way that things change is if, you know, we're all there to speak up for ourselves, which is one of the reasons why I love your podcast, uh, Holly, just empowering women to have a voice and feel like we're not alone in this and that, mm -hmm. um, we're moving forward and, and women are really um, entering the workforce like never before. And it is so, so motivating, but yeah, just demanding respect. And um, you know, that helps your relationships with your colleagues, with your patients. Also when you have to meet bankers and ask for financing and all of those things. Right. So um, just know your abilities, believe in yourself. We sometimes as women um, tend to have the imposter syndrome, right? Where we feel like even though we are qualified, we doubt ourselves. Are we really qualified though? And you are. So trust yourself, trust your abilities. And that's going to make you a stronger and more confident woman um, and an awesome boss babe. Yeah. And also my next guest speaker for my next event, Morgan over here, like... <laughs> Put that in your back pocket because I sure am right now. There we go. Awesome. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. We're going to hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Are you looking to connect with a local farmer? Do you want to know where your food comes from? 
Here at Long Lane Farms, we utilize regenerative agriculture practices and pride ourselves in ethically raising our animals. Whether it's pork, beef, chicken, turkey, or goat, our animals are pasture-raised and free of hormones, antibiotics, and fillers. We are located outside of Calabogie, but we offer delivery right to your door across the Ottawa Valley. You can purchase your meat by the cut or in bulk with one of our curated freezer orders, or you can build your own. Or maybe you're looking for something different. Why not subscribe to our Meat Share program? All orders can be placed online by visiting longlanefarms.ca slash store. If you are looking to taste the difference of pasture-raised meats, contact us today. We would love to provide you with a true farm-to-table experience. Urban Collective Retreats is a new wellness retreat experience that allows you to reflect, release, recharge, and renew as you reflect on your journey so far this year or the last few years to release anything that is no longer serving you, to make room for growth and recharge under the energy of the summer solstice sun. Renew into this new chapter, this new season. Feel aligned, feel restored, and feel renewed. Hosted by Portia Strang and guest teachers and practitioners at Urban Collective Retreats, their summer solstice retreat was curated for the woman who wants to immerse herself in the transformational tools of breathwork, energy work, yoga, meditation, and sound healing to propel you forward in manifesting a new version of yourself. Align with your highest self during our two-night summer solstice wellness retreat from June 23rd to 26, 2023, right here in the Ottawa Valley. Come escape for two nights and three days at a luxurious waterfront property, guided evening meditations and ceremonies, and small group prompted journaling on reflection and growth, morning yoga classes on our balcony overlooking the Ottawa River, and so much more. Join us and get ready to feel aligned, renewed, and restored. Follow Urban Collective Wellness on Facebook and Instagram for more information. Life is a series of moments, big moments, small moments, moments you want to bottle up so they can last forever. Life is for living. Let's partner for all of it. I'm Edward Jones, financial advisor, Christine Jarrett. Call me at 613-432-0750 and let's talk about what's most important to you. It's Krista from Pure Canadian Candle Company in downtown Pembroke, and you're listening to the OB Boss Babes podcast with your host, Holly Mullinar. Now, I want to ask you just kind of like getting back and circling back to this conversation. Um, when you were in school, did you find that gender imbalance? So uh, in my graduating class, um, we were about 50-50. But uh, most of our uh, educators were male. Um, so there was definitely a little bit of gender imbalance there. Um, and I would say where I have seen the biggest shift since graduating is seeing more women in the leadership roles. Mm, so that. we've known, you know, there's there's always been women in healthcare. Uh, women have always had a role in healthcare. Um, but where we've been, you know, uh, underrepresented is in uh, leadership roles and directorship positions. And um, I'm happy to report that right now for the Ontario Association, our president and vice president are both strong females, fantastic doctors. And it's uh, as a as a female who's, you know, technically starting out in my practice, it's very motivating to see from the top down that uh, women are, are out there and having their voices heard. Incredible. Now, while I was conducting my research, I read that women see differently than men. And in the last decade, there has been an increasing evidence that women are affected by blindness and visual impairment to a much greater degree than men. That sucks. Why does gender play a role, though, Morgan, in eyesight? <laughs> Why? Oh, <laughs> us women. So, it, you know, it's interesting. Um, I had to think about this because when I... Uh, 
I, I go through my day to day and I see my patients, men and women. It's not something you generally uh, think about until you sit down um, and, and go over it. But I would say um, one of the major things that I see specifically um, is that with women, we, because of uh, pressures that we put on ourselves and also that society imposes on us, we always feel the need to look so beautiful and perfect. Um, and so we use a lot of cosmetic products that men do not use. Um, and unfortunately, cosmetic products are extremely underregulated. Um, and most of them, if you read the fine print, will say, do not use around the eye, um, even though we have to use them around the eye. I saw a bottle of mascara once that said, do not use around the eye. And I'm thinking it's mascara. Where else mm. am I supposed to put this? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, not to say that we shouldn't be wearing makeup and we shouldn't be using cosmetics. That's unrealistic. Um, but it's just, you know, making sure that we're using the right products and, uh, and uh, maintaining them properly. So because of these cosmetic issues, I see a lot of women with uh, dry eye um, irritation and um, contact dermatitis around the eyelids, bacterial infections that we don't necessarily see um, in men. Um, there's also um, a lot of anti-aging creams. There's retinoids, which actually plug your tear ducts, um, which cause dry eye. Um, so I see that a little bit more in women. Also, pregnancy and menopause that, yay, men don't get to experience, but we do. Um, Those two things affect the the vision um, quite dramatically. Um, So you have that to look forward to as a a woman. Um, And this is sort of bittersweet, I I suppose. So you're right. um, There is a higher level of disease and blindness in women. Um, But studies are showing that is because we live longer. So (laughs) I guess it's a little bit of a um, bittersweet reason. But I think also women tend to prioritize other people. And so I see a lot of moms come in and they're making sure their husband's eye exam is booked and their kid's eye exam is booked. And I said, oh, when did you book your eye exam? Oh, I haven't, I haven't had time. I haven't booked my eye exam yet. Um, so, you know, there's certain uh, societal roles there that um, have encouraged women to look after others before looking after themselves. And so um, I would say some of them neglect their own eye care needs for that reason, which can lead to some, some issues. So um, make the time for yourself. Morgan, that was perfect. That was like so perfectly said. (laughs) Now, last year you were featured in women in optometry, an online business and lifestyle publication that targets female optometry professionals. So when I had seen that you had first posted this on your socials, which by the way, I'm really glad that you did. I think that every woman should be sharing their success stories and, and any article or spotlight feature, community spotlight, what, like whatever it is, I'm really, I always applaud. I'm like, yes, share that showcase yes. because you should be proud. But I was expecting a different article. I wasn't sure really. I was like, okay, maybe a spotlight feature about Morgan and, and her clinic and her team. But I actually read about your office expansion and renovation that you guys conducted last summer. And you had found um, this, uh, this publication to be a great resource when designing your office space. So why did you turn to women in optometry for renovation tips and clinic styles instead of just simply conducting your research on Pinterest or, or just even looking at clinic spaces on Instagram, like, which is probably what I would have done. (laughs) So a lot goes into a renovation. There's a lot of thought that has to go into it. Um, So we definitely had a Pinterest board. That's how Alex and I sort of um, uh, kept track of our ideas. And uh, I would say anyone who's planning to renovate any space should physically tour similar spaces. So um, we did make several trips to Ottawa to tour newly renovated clinics of some of our colleagues. And I think that is so important. Number one, to physically see the space, but number two, to talk to them um, about, you know, what they learned through the process. Um, And the reason why we had used women in optometry is, um, one, uh, women supporting women is is always uh, fantastic. And um, they actually have an entire section of their website just uh, designated to practice designs. And um, I would say on the whole, women tend to be uh, 
pretty good at keeping up with current trends and noticing the small touches of things, right? Um, and so I really appreciated getting the advice from fellow women in optometry um, about uh, how they uh, found their renovation experience to be. Our staff is predominantly female. There's a lot of ergonomics to consider, uh, female versus male. And so I wanted to make sure that we were designing the clinic um, to suit the needs of our staff as well. Um, so I think that was why we used women in optometry. And I think one of the more useful tips on their practice design websites is they'll ask, you know, what would you have done differently? Um, and I'm sure if you talk to anyone who's recently renovated their house, they go, oh, I thought this was going to be great, but it's terrible. Mm -hmm. um, so having that feedback prior to stepping into a renovation is uh, is huge because it's a it's a it's a huge process. Oh darn right it is, and expensive. And I mean, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it right, and you're going to have to hire like Absolutely. the right people too, and really get your vision out there and uh, solidified because. Once once the work starts going, like you can't really change it. Once, it. once you start knocking those walls down, like they're not coming back up. <laughs> exactly. We actually had, uh, so our building used to be an old Scotiabank. Um, and so there was a giant bank vault, like right in the center of the bil the building that was uh, in the way. And so we had to take that down. Um, but it took two weeks to drill through one wall of that vault. So these these bank heist movies, I don't know how accurate they are, because <laughs> <laughs> it took us two weeks to bring down the wall. Again, another unrealistic expectation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the nice thing is, is that I haven't been to your clinic, Morgan, but I've seen the pictures that you guys have showcased and you're really, you're really like captured the big city vibes in a small town rural community. And, uh, and it's just so nice to see. And I feel like, you know, when we see spaces like yours, we're always like, oh my gosh, like this is something I would expect in Ottawa or Toronto, like in a big city. And I really want to try to get away from that mentality being like, no, this is something that you would find right here in the Ottawa Valley. Absolutely. And I think there's a little bit of a balance. It's nice to have some small town personal touches as well. Um, but we, so we wanted to be up to date modern, sophisticated. Um, but then we also wanted to showcase um, some things that we were proud of. So we do have art throughout the clinic that showcases um, pictures of uh, Renfrew and surrounding area over the last 200 years. Um, we had a feature installed that sort of these hanging barn beams to kind of give you that rustic feel, um, which we really loved. And we do have a hanging piece of stained glass that is actually was removed from the window of the original clinic from 1949. So uh, it's a little piece of the clinic that, you know, has continually carried forward with us. So just little things like that. Um, it's, it's fun to add your personal touches. Yeah. Home decor from Ella's Keeping Company, working with B&M Metal for, yes. uh, for other things too. Like, I mean, it just, you know, and I, and again, I really love when businesses are showcasing who they're working with and who they're featuring and being like, see that potted plant there? Like that's from Picket Fence. Like, it's just like so nice to be able to like champion and showcase other, other businesses that you're, you're incorporating into your own. I think that's so important, Holly. You you definitely hit the nail on the head there. And um, one of the things that Alex and I had decided when working with the contractor is we wanted to um, try to include as many local businesses as we could. Um, we started renovating shortly after COVID. Uh, our local businesses, some of them had suffered a lot through that, um, that transitional phase. And uh, we wanted to try and support as many local businesses as we could throughout the renovation. Um, and it's, they did fantastic work. And I think that should be, you know, showcased. And unfortunately, um, with social media and Google reviews, and oftentimes it's the negative feedback that gets posted because those are the, um, you know, reviewers or clients that are um, more polarized to get, you know, their emotions across. And so we don't often share positive experiences. And uh, I was uh, so happy to work with uh, a lot of local businesses, B&M Metal being one of them. They designed our uh, hanging sign, our gate that swings open. That's a big pair of glasses. Uh, so they were fantastic fantastic and working with picket fence, Ella's keeping company, um, other, uh, local rent for businesses to kind of, um, feng shui the place, I guess you can say. Um, uh, but yeah, that was important to us and, uh, it was important to share, um, our experiences for sure. 
So Morgan, we talked earlier about what it looked like as an optometrist 20 years ago, but how has optometry evolved during your time in the profession, particularly with regard to being a woman in this, in this industry? So things are changing, which is great. So as I mentioned, um, uh, a few minutes ago, we are seeing more women in optometry, especially in the last 10 years, which is super exciting. And I think that's because um, gender roles and, and pressures to conform to those roles are shifting, right? So uh, we see um, men taking a more active role in, um, you know, raising their children, staying at home, um, partaking in that family life, which has allowed women to feel comfortable uh, getting out there and pursuing their dreams because um, our dreams are just as important as anybody else's dreams, but you do need that support to be able to do it. And I think also um, certain workplaces have evolved to allow more flexible work hours, um, uh, to allow mat leave, um, to allow pat leave. You know, that's not something um, that was common 10, 15 years ago. Um, but you see it more and more now where um, men are taking paternity leave so that women can continue to uh, do what they do. Um, so I think, you know, things are shifting in, in the right way. And why do you think that we need to be increasing our medical care system and how can optometrists play an active role in advocating for their patients, Morgan? So yeah, healthcare is so important and it affects every single Canadian um, and Ontarian. And, and we know that was highlighted quite evidently during the pandemic that, um, you know, we just, we need to spend more and invest more in healthcare. Um, and there's a lot of things there, redundancies um, that need to be reviewed and, and hopefully investments will be um, made in the near future with the new, uh, you know, federal transfer payments um, that are going out to provinces. Um, but it's important to invest in our healthcare um, because we have an aging population and um, that's, that's going to cost more. And it's a lot uh, easier on the system if we can prevent disease instead of treat disease. It's a lot more expensive to treat disease. Mm -hmm. um, so I think part of it is also um, advocating and public awareness and letting them know these things, you know, how, how certain diseases are, are preventable um, with routine follow-up and care. And optometry specifically, um, I think we've done a better job in the last few years. I think we can do a better job um, at, uh, you know, educating the public on what an optometrist does because mm -hmm. a lot of people just think it's about glasses um, they don't know that when you get a piece of steel in your eye that you can instead of waiting six to eight hours in pain and emergency you can come and see me and I can take that out for you um, we we treat corneal abrasions we treat eye infections um, these are all things that we can treat in our private clinic um, so that we can keep the demand on the ER. They're already so busy. Um, so we can support, you know, family physicians and ER physicians by um, having patients treated for the things that we can treat them for in our offices. Um, and I think we just need to do a better job at educating the public about that. Because a lot of times people will come in and they'll say, I didn't know you could do this for me. Um, so I think that that's an important component for sure. Well, having these conversations, getting the word out there, that's how we're educating and we're moving forward, Morgan, and you're doing a stellar job at that. <laughs> Thank you. I just appreciated this conversation so much. I honestly, Morgan, this has just been, this has been a great informative hour, but it's also been fun and you've shed yes, a light it has on been. so many great topics and, and uh, yeah, the conversation has just been, it's been very enlightening to say in the least. Great. Thank you. But Morgan, guess what's next? That is my rapid 10. <laughs> so you're yes. not off the hook just I, yet. I'm nervous. <laughs> I haven't been quizzed in like seven years. <laughs> well, get ready, sit down because we are putting you in the hot seat for this one. All right. All right. So going to test you with a trivia question to start with. Which animal has the clearest eyesight, bears, eagles, or porcupines? Eagles. That is right. Yeah, I mean, and you'd think that it would be right too, because like they're up in the sky and like they can see something Absolutely. below. They're going down, like they've got their they're eye going. on the target. Mm -hmm. What are three natural ways that we can improve our vision? Oh, three natural ways. Well, 
I know what I suggest to patients, but it may not be the right answer, uh, but sun protection is a big one. Uh, eating uh, foods with lots of antioxidants, so green leafy vegetables, spinach, kale, broccoli, omega-3s. I know carrots is always uh, in there as well. They're okay for the eyes, but the green leafy vegetables uh, are better. And um, lubricating your eyes and making sure you blink. Which brand of glasses sells more, Ray-Bans or Oakley's? Ooh, that's a, that's a tough one. So we carry both of those in our clinic and they're both very popular. Oh, I'm going to say Ray-Ban. What happens, Morgan, if you potentially sleep with your contacts in, which we all know you shouldn't, but what would happen if you do? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> don't. Don't, don't tell me that. Um, yes, it, it happens. And you know what? Most patients, so it's always a question I ask when they're in for their eye exam is, so do you sleep in your contacts? And most patients are very honest and they'll say, yeah, I do. <laughs> they don't lie. Um, but you can, you can definitely end up with bacterial ulcers if you sleep with your contacts. Yeah. Very, very bad. I ended up actually just a side note. Like I remember when I was in college and it was just one too many, one too many nights where <laughs> I just didn't like, just like not taking my makeup off, just didn't take my contacts out. And I ended up getting a really bad eye infection. And I can't remember what I had to get put in, but there were eye drops that made like my, my, my eye go green for a couple hours. Oh, it yes. was so bad. Lesson yes. learned. Do yes. not do it. Just if don't you don't do want it. to take off your makeup, just take out your contacts. Just take out the contacts. Yes. True or false. Your eye has more identifying features than your fingerprints. True. It is true. Which is crazy. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah, it is crazy. The eye test chart is also known as the uh, Snellen acuity chart. That's right. Snellen. Uh, That's a Snellen, name, yes. right? <laughs> It is. <laughs> What is the most expensive brand of eyeglasses that you carry? Um, it's funny, probably no one will recognize this brand, but the silhouettes would be the most expensive brand that we carry. Those are frames that are the most lightweight on the market and they're made so that when you wear them, it, it almost looks like you're not wearing glasses because they're rimless and the arms are super, super thin. Um, but those would probably be the most expensive ones. When is someone considered legally blind? They are considered legally blind if they cannot be corrected to better vision than 2100, I believe. What is the earliest that a child can start wearing glasses? Um, pretty much any age, uh, uh, you know, six months of age, usually the eyes have a lot more developing to do in that first year of life. Um, so unless the prescription is like super, super high, we tend to just want to monitor them. Um, but they can be in glasses as early as six months. Where do we dispose our, our unused glasses? <gasps> That's a great question. Uh, so we actually are part of the uh, Lions Club Recycle for Sight program, uh, where the Lions Club collects um, used glasses uh, in order to provide um, eye care overseas to third world countries. So if you have a pair of um, glasses that are still in one piece, <laughs> please, um, you can drop them off uh, at our clinic. Um, we have a, a nice little recycle box for the recycle for sight glasses. Um, interestingly, you can also donate old hearing aids for the same purpose. Um, so if you visit your local uh, Lions Club website, they will have a list of locations where you can drop off glasses. Um, but our clinic is one of them. There you go. That's awesome. And Morgan, who is one local boss, babe, that inspires you that you think everyone should know about? Well, everyone who's listening to this podcast already knows about you, Holly, but um, <laughs> I, I really do love your podcast and the fact that you're showcasing and supporting women. Um, but if I had to choose someone, I'd have to go with my local hometown Queo native, uh, Lindsay Hamilton. You had her on um, from yes. Homegrown Small Town. Um, she's done a fantastic job with her Instagram. Um, she has motivated me to post more um, and uh, she's doing 
some awesome gardening workshops. And I'll tell you during COVID when I couldn't work because we were mandated to be shut down and I was twiddling my thumbs, um, her Instagram videos on gardening got me through. I was never a gardener. Um, I thought I would be terrible at it and I don't have a lot of space where I live. And um, she just totally motivated me to start growing my own vegetables. And I now I have all these vegetables growing and I just love it. And, um, you know, that gave me some peace of mind during a really stressful time. So I would encourage everyone to, to follow her uh, on her Instagram page. She's fantastic. Yeah. Hometown, small, who loved on homegrown, small town. I there think. we go. That's what it is. Homegrown, small town. Yes. Lindsay is phenomenal. And it's actually funny, Morgan, because I was trying to rack my brain during our conversation today. I'm like, she reminds me of someone that I've had on. And I was trying to think who it was. And you two are very, very similar. You're both very <laughs> articulate. You guys are very well-spoken. You're all like power to women. Like you guys are very like two, two peas in a pot, I would say. Her and I actually growing up, um, we competed in the same public speaking competitions and we did uh, a lot of uh, competitions around uh, Western Quebec together. So it's not surprising that you would say that. You know what? The wheels are turning in my head here. And I think if my <laughs> listeners can catch on, they're thinking, oh, another event's coming and Lindsay and Morgan <laughs> tag team. Gonna put, you know what? Honestly, we'll be, we'll be in touch, Morgan. <laughs> but <laughs> anyways... Game. Tell everybody, Morgan, where they can find the Renfrew Eye Clinic so that we get more people booking their eye appointments. Make those appointments. Get in there. Come on. Put yourselves first. So you can find us at www.renfreweyeclinic.com. We do offer online booking uh, through that website. Our phone number is 613-432-3573. You can uh, call and have a chat with our awesome friendly staff uh, if you have any questions about booking an appointment. And you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Renfrew Eye Clinic. And uh, that's where we post most of our uh, upcoming sales uh, and events. Um, so if you are following us on social, you won't miss, um, any sales. Babes, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of OB Boss Babes podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please screenshot and tag OB Boss Babes on your Instagram story and tag Dr. Wellburn at the Renfrew Eye Clinic as well. Also, if you're feeling extra generous, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify because I love reading your feedback and it gets our ratings up too. We'll be back again on Wednesday with our Boss Babe Corner series, so be sure you're subscribed so you don't miss it.